I'm going to jump into God's Word this morning, I'm going to be in John 7, but uh, you can kind of take your time getting there. I've got a little bit of an um, intro for you. Uh, maybe you're like me, maybe you're not, but uh, I keep this, I have this small mental list of, of ways that I wish God had created me differently. Now, at times, yes, I'd, I'd like to be skinnier, I'd like to be stronger and all that, but that's just kind of like, like once you get married, that just doesn't have the same kind of priority it does when you're younger, okay? It just kind of goes away. But uh, I've come to grips with all that. But there's one thing that I wish that God had really done differently in my life, and that is my voice. Okay, to prove it, um, I do everything I can to avoid hearing my recorded voice. Um, they tell you pastors are supposed to watch your sermons. I never watch my sermons. Can't do it. I can't listen to my, it just gives me the absolute creeps and cringes. I just can't do it, okay? Number one, I, I can't sing. God did not gift me that way in any way. I have tried. I actually took piano in college to try to, to hear the notes, and, and I couldn't. Um, that means, and to, to be just completely transparent, there are some worship leaders. I appreciate them leading more than others because, and Daryl's one of them, is I can hear the melody and I can kind of follow along. But uh, if I can't find it, I just go softer so the rest of you can't hear me, make a joyful noise, and, and I can do it. So if I'm ever going like this, it's a security blanket to make sure that my mic is off. So <laughs> some pastors, and they'll, they'll turn this on and let them control them in the booth. I am absolutely not letting them control that uh, whatsoever. I can't sing, okay? Number two, I don't know if you've ever heard it or not, but I do have a speech impediment when I say the, the letter S. Uh, it will, you're probably going to notice it now, I probably shouldn't have told you, but I'm, I'm self-conscious about it, so I have this S that you'll, you'll hear it now. Uh, I've just learned to live with it, but the reality is you've had to learn to live with it, so you hear me more than I even hear myself. But, but here's the biggie, okay? Full, full disclosure, for some reason, when I'm on the phone, I must sound like a woman. I can't tell you how many times on the phone they have called me ma'am, or Mrs. Graham. It happens at least monthly. They will, I think it's the phone system or something. It's just my voice electronically. Hopefully it's not in person, but uh, now most of the time I can take it in stride unless I'm hangry or feeling insecure. Uh, when that happens, I'm sure that they can hear my irritation. When I correct them, mind you, an octave lower, this is Mr. Graham. You can call me sir, not ma'am. So uh, it's just, it, it, it kind of gets to you a little bit, so because I, I don't identify as a woman. So that's just, that's some, <laughs> I know you can do that nowadays. I don't, okay? Uh, here's the point. There is a point to the story, okay? We can sometimes assume the wrong things about someone. We can look at them and say, I think that, and it can be absolutely wrong. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture today where the people had it wrong about Jesus. And we're going to see it, how they kept doing it over and over again. You're going to see six views of Jesus that are incorrect. But before we get to the six... Let's look at the one that we just quickly looked at at the end of chapter 6 last week. In fact, you're going to see three categories in chapter 7, verses 1 to 24 today, what, um, people, how people view Jesus, and then we're going to look at the correct view, though, of how Jesus viewed the Father 
and then how Jesus viewed the people. But, but let's go to the end of chapter 6 for a quick moment here. Again, there was all this whole section of Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life, after he'd given away all that bread to all those folks. And he's like, hey, let me tell you what this, this bread is. I'm going to sustain you. I'm the one that you can come to, so believe in me. And, and he's just, there's a lot in there theologically. But he says, after this, when he got very detailed to say, uh, you need to eat my body, you need to drink my blood, I am the bread of life. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. When they heard that high, high, hard saying, they walked away. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And I love Jesus, or Simon's response. You know, Simon Peter was always putting his foot in his mouth. He didn't hear. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? There's no other option. Why? You have the words of eternal life. You're, you're, you are where we find eternal life. And we have what? What's the word there? We've believed. We've believed. That's John's whole point. And we have come to know that you are who? Say it with me. The Holy One of God. That's who Jesus is. He's the Holy One of God. And there's so much theological richness in that that we don't have time to unpack today. But that's why we have, have that's why today's all about Him. You know, this, I'm not here to give you a bunch of self-help stuff or a bunch of, you know, just we're gathering on a Sunday morning to kind of just be together. No, it's about the Holy One of God. So now let's jump into chapter 7, and we're going to look at how first, how the people viewed Jesus. Some of these in our notes are a little mixed up, and I'll explain that as we go through as far as the order is concerned. But let's start in chapter uh, 7, verse 1. After this... Jesus went about in Galilee. So he's, he's traveling through the area of Galilee, up in the north. Capernaum's up there. Gaza's up there. Um, he, would, um, he would not go about in Judea, which is down south. So he's staying up north. Why? Because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. Not booze, but booths uh, means tabernacle. This was uh, another one of their feasts that symbolized, it was a reminder to them of how God took care of them while they were traveling in their tents back in the wilderness. And so this was probably mid-year. I think it's in the seventh month of the year. It was at hand. It was about to happen. So his brothers... His brothers said to him, why don't you leave here up north? Why don't you go down to Judea that, what's the next word there? Your disciples. Wait, what's happening there? I want you to make a distinction. Brothers, your disciples, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. It's interesting. Here's their reasoning, verse 4. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. Like Jesus, if you want the world to know what you're doing, you better get down to where they're getting all the public gathering. Like show off some of these, these miracles you're doing. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Like let everybody know. If you got a you know, platform, you need some social media, you need some, like, like let people know what's happening here. Do you got your website? Do you have your merch table? Like, like you need a, a following here and your, your, your bus, you know, the, like the Jesus rules or something like that. You just have the, no, none of that's happening because for not even, we'll get to that in a second, verse five, for not even his brothers did what? Believed in him. Let that sink in for a minute. 
his brothers didn't believe in him. They were raised with him. What's going on here? Here's the first view. It's not right. Some misunderstood his mission and they did not believe. They thought it was Jesus' goal to be famous. That's not Jesus' goal. At this stage especially, they didn't get it. Now, I want you to notice the connection between understanding what Jesus is all about and believing in Jesus. They go together. They, they didn't believe because if you don't understand care correctly who Jesus is and what his mission is all about, you're not going to believe the right things about Jesus. In fact, if you get that messed up, all kinds of crazy things can happen. All we have to do is get out our history books and we can see how for centuries the name and agenda of Jesus has been hijacked for personal and political agendas. Man has said, this Jesus thing will make it about us. You got the Crusades, and you got, you know, time and time again, power, and and uh, there's the, obviously politics play a role in that, where mankind has been using the name of Jesus to gain power and wealth and fame. They make it about them in the public squares, in churches, in homes. Now, I'm not going to get into the politics of, of January 6th, and that's not my point. But it broke my heart to see people waving Jesus flags, doing the things they did on that particular day. That's, there's, there's, yeah, we have to wrestle with politics in our country, and that's not my point. But the point is that Jesus doesn't belong to one country. Jesus doesn't belong to one party. He doesn't belong to one individual. doesn't belong to one family. Jesus has his mission and we need to understand what it is so that we can believe properly. Jesus is not going to be, in fact, no, let me back up. The mission of Jesus is redemption through the work of the cross and the work of the Holy Spirit, not a man-made agenda. It's so important that you and I understand why he came. It wasn't to be famous like his brothers wanted. It wasn't to be popular. What we need to do is view Jesus through the lens of Scripture, Jesus was offering redemption through Jesus Christ. He's going to end up dying on a cross, a horrible death. That was what his mission was all about. One more thing to note here, just a reminder. You can be close to Jesus and still not believe. You can be around the Jesus stuff and still not believe. So be real careful. You can come to church you can be around other Christians and still not have that relationship with him that's so important. His own brothers did not believe. They didn't get it. So how does Jesus respond? Verse 6. He says, my time, that's the word kairos in the Greek. Not, not, there's chronos, which is kind of your watch time, but uh, a, chron, or a kairos time is a moment. It's, this is the, the suitable, right, opportune time moment. My time has not yet come but your time is always here. Like you can go to the festival. Did I skip ahead? No, I did it right. Okay, verse five. Thought I skipped a verse. My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. Like you, you can go, that's okay. But then he makes a statement in verse seven. The world cannot hate you because you're a part of the world, but it hates me. Why? Because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast, I'm not going to go up to the feast, this feast. 
for my time has not yet fully come. Like, this isn't the right moment for me to go to the feast. Now, just full disclosure, he does go to the feast. But what he's saying is, I'm not going to go in the way that you want me to go. After this, saying this, he remained in Galilee. So, so we see the brothers, how they, they misunderstood and they didn't believe. But then the way that Jesus talks about the world here is another view of Jesus. Well, they hated him. Just hated him. Why, why would they have hated him? Well, because what he was proclaiming and teaching, it exposed their evil. It exposed how they were not like God the Father, how they were not uh, obeying the law. Some hated him because he exposed their evil. This is still true today. If you stop and think about it, the world does everything it can to avoid the things of Jesus because their agenda is evil. The world does not want anything to do with God. The world wants its own thing. I don't have to convince you of that. It's everywhere. The world has its agenda on money and power and sex and pleasure and relationships and success. It's evil. The world is evil. The world is committed to the ways of the enemy. In fact, we read this later on in John 15. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. For if you were of the world, that's why we use kind of a common phrase that says to be in the world but not of the world. Like we're going to be in the world until Jesus comes back. Like we're stuck here, okay? There's no Christian island somewhere, no Christian commune. We can't get out of the world. To be out of the world is to be with Jesus, which will someday would be a good thing. But we are not to be of the world. For if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. If you hold the same values, the world's going to love you. But because you are not of this world or of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, we're going to tackle these verses when we get here, but this is a, a quick reminder that if Jesus and the world aren't on the same page, what does that mean for our relationship with the world? It means that it, it is something to be constantly aware of. Because hear me on this, the more that the world gets a hold of our thinking, the more that the world gets a hold of our values, the more we will misunderstand the mission of Jesus the more we're pulled into their way of thinking. And if you buy into their thinking, our view of Jesus gets distorted and messed up. We'll talk more about that later. Verse 10. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, but notice he clarifies, not publicly, but in private. He's not going up there waving the Jesus flag. He just comes in there privately, says the Jews were looking for him at the feast because word is spreading around the whole area. They're trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is and what he's talking about. He's doing these miracles and they're saying, where is he? Verse 12, and there was much muttering about him among the people. While some say he is a what? He's a good man. Others said, no, 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 no. He is leading the people astray. Yet, for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. So here's two views. One, some thought that he was just a good man. Now, this almost sounds like a good thing. You'd want to be known as a good man, a good person. But that's not what Jesus is. He's a lot more than just a good person. In fact, he's holy. He's God. He's perfect. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. That's a big difference. And there's a danger still of this today for folks to say, yeah, hey, he's just a good dude. 
In fact, there's what the teacher out there, Jesus is my homie. Like he's just, he's a good guy. He's a good teacher. We'll get to that one in a second, but no. Some said that, that um, uh, if you move on, we'll come, kind of come back to that in a second in, the, in another one, but some thought that he was deceiving people. Again, I think many think this today. What was it? Karl Marx said that religion is the opiate of the masses. Like you, don't, you don't need Jesus like taking weak people under his control. No, that's not what Jesus was doing. You know, people who follow Jesus are a bunch of suckers, blindly following some lunatic. It's not what we believe. In fact, I know a few other leaders in our world who are deceiving people, but that's another conversation. Jesus is not just a good man, and he's not deceiving people. We'll come back to some of that in a moment here. Verse 14, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple, and he began teaching. I love this. The Jews, therefore, what's the word there? Marveled. They were amazed, saying, how is it this man has learning when he's never studied? He's not gone to school. He's not gone to seminary. Here's an interesting perspective. Some were amazed at his teaching. Now, on the surface, this sounds like a good view of Jesus, to say he's a great teacher. That, that's good. But that still misses the point. They were focused on what Jesus was saying to the exclusion of who he was. This still happens today. Let me give you an example. I think I've told most of you that uh, God's laid it on my heart to go back to school. I start my, uh, started my doctorate. So my first class um, is um, in marriage and family counseling. My, the program is biblical counseling. And my first class is in January. So right now, I'm just reading all kinds of books and started writing. And one of the papers I have to write is I have to do a critique of a, a very popular marriage book right now. I'm not going to tell you the name. I'm going to wait till I'm done critiquing it. But, but what I have to critique it for, for its biblical foundation, if you will. And one of the things I've become more aware of is how easy it is, and I know it can be complicated, but how easy it is to take a teaching of Jesus or a biblical verse and slap it onto a worldly philosophy. And, and, and the truth is that, that we want a little bit of Jesus sometimes, but we don't want him as Lord and Savior because that means we have to acknowledge our sin. We have to acknowledge that, that the whole concept of redemption. So Jesus isn't just a therapeutic quick fix. He's the Savior of the world. And so, so you can't just say, that's a good teaching. Because you could say the same thing about all kinds of people who don't know Jesus. That's a good teaching. That's a good teaching. And sometimes we can learn from all that. But Jesus says, no. I'm the savior of the world. And that makes a big distinction. Here's, the, here's the, the issue. You can't separate the teachings of Jesus from the lordship of Jesus. He has full authority because he's the holy one. He's the one rescuing us from eternal damnation and separation from God. He is the teacher, but he's also the Messiah, the savior, the creator, and he is God. All right. Those were five. We're gonna, you're going to see in your notes, there's one more. We'll come back. We'll see that right in the middle. So let's see how Jesus, he's going to respond to that, but he's going to talk about his heavenly father so we get a glimpse of how he views the father. In fact, let me give you one right out of the gate. Um, this is the first one. In fact, in a sense, we've already seen it in the text multiple times where Jesus says, my time has not yet come. Another way of saying that is Jesus is saying, I'm on mission for my father. 
So I, I, what I'm doing means I've been sent by the Father, and we see that in verse 16. Jesus answers them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. So Jesus views himself as a mission, on mission for Jesus, but another, way, another aspect of that is what I'm teaching you is what the Father wants me to teach. I'm not making up my own thing. I'm giving you content from the Father. This is, this is the, the manuscript I'm supposed to give you. Now, you and I probably don't grasp this in the same way that the Jews would have grasped this. For them, the Father was everything. I mean, that was their whole religion and relationship was our Father who art in heaven. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing. And what he's saying is, I'm with him. You know, he has a t-shirt and an arrow up, I'm with him. That's, gonna, that, that's, that's why I'm here. And this is a big deal because they understood as God the Father, and there was this reverence and this worship. Verse 17 then, he says, if anyone's will is to do God's will. So if anyone is desiring and wanting to and choosing to do what God wants, he's going to know whether the teaching that I'm teaching you is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Jesus is putting all his cards on the table, which is really, as I, as I wrote that, I thought, I don't think Jesus played poker, but it's a good expression. Like, he's just, he's showing you his cards. He's like, I'm with him, or another way of saying it is, I speak on full authority from the Father. Now, when I send one of my kids, Sophia, go tell Josh it's time for dinner, or go tell Josh it's time to empty the dishwasher, there will be times when Malia or Sophie will either try to just yell from the bottom of the stairs. No, I said go tell him. So she'll go up the stairs and say, Josh, we have to do the dishes. It doesn't usually work unless she says what? Dad says we have to empty the dishwasher. That's what's going on here. She says, it's not my authority. I come bearing the authority of our Heavenly Father, and I, we, we're going to get this done he says some more. He says, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. I want you to see two things. One, Jesus is saying, I want the Father to get the glory. Like it's, it's about the Heavenly Father. Now, this is, again, it opens the doors to lots of theology we can talk about. Is what is the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? There's a lot here. But we know that, that God the Father, that, that God the Son, Jesus, came and says, I'm wanting him to have the glory. And that's the whole mission we see in the Gospels. And there's a lot going on in that, but that's what it's all about. We can unpack that more later because I want the Father to get the glory. But he also says, I'm telling you the truth about the Father. Because if we go back to this verse, he says, um, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. So Jesus is saying, I I'm true, and in him there is no what? There's no falsehood. It's like, I'm telling you the truth about the Father, but I'm also going to tell you the truth about you. And here's where we transition to how Jesus views the people. Look at verse 19. He kind of gets in their face a little bit here. He says, has not Moses given you the law? And I almost wonder, like, like I'm, I'm picturing him taking his time saying this. He's in the synagogue. He says, 
Hasn't Moses given you the law? You can just see people nodding their head, yeah, okay, he's given us the law. Yet, none of you keeps the law. And you're almost like, wait, what are you saying, Jesus? You, you almost can visually see them go like this. Like, what are you talking about? And he says, you're trying to kill me. Why, why do you seek to kill me? You're, you're, Moses told you in the law not to kill or murder, but you're trying to kill or murder me. Like, you're not obeying the law. There's falsehood in you. And here's the crowd's response. <laughs> you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? So here's one more principle you can put back up in your notes. It's kind of a bonus one. Some thought he was demonic. It's pretty intense. I mean, God, demon, okay? They're not on the same team, okay? It's completely the opposite. That's how far some people will take it. Now, I don't think I would have reacted the way Jesus reacted. In fact, I know I would not. If, if, in fact, if some of you called me demon, we're going to have words, okay? Jesus doesn't lose it. I think we would lose it. In fact, if I had his powers, I'd be like, okay, what kind of curse can I put on them right that moment? But he doesn't. This is what he does instead. He answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. You're almost like, wait, okay, you're picturing Jesus. Where are you going with this? Moses gave you circumcision. Actually, it wasn't from Moses. It was from the fathers. They were the, 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 it was a whole group of folks saying, hey, you got to do the circumcision, which was a sign of the covenant between God and his people, and they knew it, okay? And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. So their rules were on the eighth day was when that little boy was circumcised, and it didn't matter if it was on the Sabbath or not. They would do the, the, the deed on, on Sabbath. If on the Sabbath... A man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken. Okay, you're obeying your laws. Are you, why are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath, I made a man's whole body well. You just dealt with one part in the, their body to, to make them perfect. That was a, the word they would use to, that's how, uh, uh, it, it was to, to finish the process of who they were in their identity with God. He said, I healed a whole man's body and you're angry with me? In fact, this is the way to say it, you know, you circumcise the Sabbath, but get angry with me for healing on the Sabbath. You're a bunch of hypocrites is what he's saying. And ultimately, he makes this phrase. This is our last for today, and then next week, Pastor Daryl is going to pick up and finish the chapter uh, together. Uh, he says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with the right judgment. What's he saying here? This is just my way of saying it. You need to go a little deeper. You need to think through this a little more carefully, because you're not getting it. You don't understand what God is trying to do. You don't understand what I'm trying to teach you. Now, this is a little awkward wording. I'm like, do not judge by appearance, but judge with the right judgment. Uh, let's jump over into the message. I want to read to you, I think it's verses 21 through 24 in the message. Hear this. Jesus said, I did one miraculous thing a few months ago, and you're still standing around all upset, wondering, wondering what I'm up to? 
Moses prescribed circumcision. Originally it came not from Moses, but from his ancestors. And so you circumcise a man dealing with one part of his body, even if it's the Sabbath. And you do this in order to preserve one item in the law of Moses. So why are you upset with me because I made a man's whole body well on the Sabbath? And I like how we, um, who did the message? Um, Peterson, um, what's his first name? John, Eugene Peterson, thank you. Um, he says, don't be nitpickers. Use your head and heart to discern what is right, to test what is authentically right. Now, this isn't a real, like, you walk away from this message like, oh, this is what we need to do. And it just isn't that type of message. So here's how we're going to end today. In fact, Mike, if you want to come on up here. Um, let's ask this question. What is right? If he says, don't be nitpickers, use your head and your heart to discern what is right, to test what is authentically right. We live in a day and age where we have to wrestle with what the truth is. Okay? And ultimately, we're here today to be reminded about the truth of who Jesus is. That's truth. And then the follow-up question is, do we believe? And then the follow-up question to that is, what do we do about it? So we're going to close today um, in prayer. I'm not going to sing a song today. And um, we're a family, and I've, I've been pushing you guys a little bit that we're going to, we want to do more prayer in our services. And I, I know this might be a little uncomfortable for some of you, but you'll get over it. It'll be okay. Um, that's not the goal, to make you feel uncomfortable. The goal is, is to grow in the area of prayer. We believe that the Holy Spirit is in this place. And I want to close this morning praying this way. I'm going to give you an opportunity to just pray just between you and the Lord. And then I'm going to ask that if the Lord had laid on your heart in a group this size to just verbally pray out loud so the rest of us can hear it. But I want to do a three-part prayer. Um, between you and the Lord, I want you to recognize, in fact, as you kind of look through your notes, they say this about Jesus. They may believe this about Jesus. This is the wrong belief. But we know this is true. They say this, but we believe this. And then the third part of the prayer is, how do we respond to that? So let's, let's pray that together. They may say this about you, Jesus, but we believe this, and this is our response. So why don't you take a moment and just pray that kind of a prayer between you and the Lord. And then in just a few moments, I'm just going to ask for us to verbally do that out loud. I'll start us. And then let's just have a, a short little prayer meeting as we, we leave here today. So God, they say this about you, but this is what your word teaches. And this is what I believe. And this is what we need to do about our response. So spend a few moments in prayer, just you and the Lord. And then I'll, I'll take us to the next step.